All right, let me ask you this. When someone uh, comes up to you and they say that this person, this friend of theirs, knows the Lord, what do you think of? What do you think they mean by that? You think they are talking about the fact that they're a believer, that they're saved. And that's true. That's, this is a term that we use a lot of times in reference to people who have come to, to Christ. We say, well, they know the Lord. And well, what is it that they know? Well, they know that Jesus died on the cross for them. He paid for their sins and they're trusting in him to save them. That's what they know. Now, what is it that they need to know? That's the question. What do they need to know? Because there's so much more to being a Christian in the Christian life than just the initial stage of being saved or coming to Christ. So there's a lot that we we need to know, so many things. Um, for example, we need to know who God is and what he is like. Yes, sir. Excuse us, I have to get undressed here to get this thing off. But we have to know who God is and what he is like. There, Like I said, there's so much more to knowing God than just being saved. We need to know, for example, that we can trust him. We need to know that he loves us. We need to know that he forgives us and that he has the power to change us. There are many Christians who go through life and they never know this. They uh, come, they put their faith in Christ, and they're saved. But for some reason, whatever it may be, maybe they want to or maybe they don't know any better, they're just content to stay where they are. We're not going to deal with it anymore. They're just content to stay where they are. Now, the Bible instructs us that as Christians, and that's what we're talking about today, we're talking about believers knowing the Lord not an unbeliever coming to Christ. So please make that distinction. We're talking to you as a believer, talking about knowing the Lord and having a knowledge of God. And every one of us needs that. The Bible tells us that we're to grow in the knowledge and the understanding of who God is as believers. Now watch this verse. This passage is in Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Now let me read it for you. It says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these, things, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Now, what does he delight in here at the bottom? What is he happy about? What is he taking pleasure in? Well, if you go back up, he's taking pleasure in those people who have the understanding of who he is to know him. You see, this is so important because we as believers, as we go through the Christian life, some of us know the Lord better than others. Some of us are, are close to the Lord. We have an intimacy and others don't. Now today what I'm going to be talking to you about is this very thing, the benefits of knowing what God is like, of knowing who he is. And we're going to deal with three questions. Here are the questions. This is what we're, the whole message is centered around, these three questions. First question is this, what happens when we don't know God as we should? As a believer, what happens in my life when I don't know the Lord as I should? The second question is this, how does my life change when I do 
How does my life change when I do know who God is and what he is like and have a knowledge of him, depth of understanding? How does my life change? What's the big deal? And then the third question is how do I begin? How do I do it? How do I acquire this knowledge? So those three things is what we're going to answer today. Let's begin with the first one. What happens when we don't know God as we should? Now let me make this statement. If you don't have a good grasp on who God really is and what he's like, then you run the risk of a couple of things happening in your life. Here's the first one. The danger of things that might take place if you don't know who he is. Here's the first one. You will be tempted to create the kind of God you want. You'll be, you'll be tempted to create the kind of God that you want. Your own theology, your own understanding, your own image of God. And you'll be tempted to do that. For, all, for most of us, we'd say, well, I, don't, I have this image of God that I've always thought about. And I would like for God to be a God that doesn't allow suffering. You'd be amazed at the number of people as believers who have come to the conclusion and arrived at a, at a theology that says that God doesn't allow suffering when all you've got to do is look around you. But somehow in their mind, well, that's not God because God wouldn't do that. You need an understanding of who God is. Some of us think, well, it's okay to sin because we're under grace. That God doesn't care. So we take that approach and that's our theology. That's our understanding of God. And it's not okay to sin. We as believers are his children, and God has a lot to say about the life that we're supposed to be living. We arrive at this conclusion about God, that God wants us to be happy. Now, some of you are thinking, well, well, wait a minute. I thought that was true. I thought God wanted me to be happy. But when you look at Scripture, you find that something else is taught entirely. God wants you to be filled with joy. But happiness has to do with circumstances, and God doesn't necessarily want you happy. The apostles weren't always happy. Paul wasn't always happy. Many things happened in the life of Paul that caused him a lot of distress. But yet he always had joy in his heart. Sometimes we arrive at this conclusion that God wants me to be happy, so therefore if I am married to somebody that I'm not, and I'm not happy, then it makes it easier for me to get a divorce because God wants me to be happy. Since God wants me to be happy, and that's what I really, really believe, then if I'm a young girl and I get pregnant out of marriage, and then God would be okay with me having an abortion because God wants me to be happy. You see how we begin to develop our own theology. And the problem is this, that we tend to create a lifestyle first. Things that we want to do, ways that we want to behave, how we want to act, and then we build a theology to go with it. This is what happens to a lot of Christians. I believe this because, well, that's the way I live. So I've created a theology to go with it. Now let me tell you a story. When I was living in Florida, this was back in the early 70s, mid-70s, I was in Bible college. We went down there to go to Bible college. And I told you before, part of the practice of the college was to give us practical training in various things one of which was sharing the gospel, witnessing, uh, evangelism. And so they would send you out on a Saturday to go out into the community and just knock on doors and see if you could get somebody to talk with you. And what you were practicing, basically that's what we were doing, practicing what you knew to be true in trying to talk to an individual that you knew probably was lost. In this community that we lived in, it was predominantly Jewish and Catholic. 
if you were a Baptist, you were in the minority because you were either Jewish or you were Catholic in this community. And I'll never forget this. I remember it to this day. Now, this is my first or second year at college and Bible college, and, and man, I was really uh, a greenhorn, you know. And so I go knocking on this lady's door, and I'm scared to death. But And there was somebody with me. We had pairs we went out with, a Catholic lady. And we begin to talk, and I begin to, you know, tell her the, the gospel and share with her scriptures and so forth. And she stops me about halfway through my little spiel there. And she says, well, no, well, just wait a minute, because I don't believe in hell. I just don't believe in hell, and, and I believe that everybody's going to go to heaven. And so I tried to deal with that and try to talk with her about that and so forth, and then she gets mad as a hornet. She's just infuriated with me. She says, how dare you judge my religion? What makes you think that your religion's right and mine's wrong? How can you judge my religion? And I could tell at that point this is not going anywhere fast. So I, I made my you know, apologies and told her I'm glad I got to talk with her. Thanks for letting me in the door and I would make my way out because frankly I'd never encountered anybody like that before, anything like that. It's one of those people where you, you get through talking to them and, and it's like they said, listen, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's already made up. Hers was already made up and she wasn't changing. Now, to this day, as I think about that, I wish that I could go back now and talk to that same lady because the approach would be quite different. And whenever she would say to me, you have no right to question my religion, I would say to her, yeah, you're right. As a matter of fact, I think your religion's a pretty good one. I said, when I think about it, I don't want hell to be real either. I wish everybody was saved. And if I could make up my own religion, that's the one I'd pick because you chose a great one. But now let me ask you this. What is your religion based on? Well, it would just be what I think, what I believe. I have this concept of God, and this is who I think God is and what he is like. I'll say, well, that's true, but what is it based on really? What ties it down? What do you? What, what's the the support under this belief system that you have. I said, now see, the Bible teaches something quite different, and it's not an argument between your religion and mine or what you think or I think, because I would agree with you if, if I didn't already know that the Bible teaches something different. And so it comes to a point where what we have to believe what the Bible says and adjust our life accordingly rather than building a lifestyle and a, a belief system and try to force the Bible into it. And if you don't have a knowledge of who God is and what he is like, then this is exactly what we do. We try to build a theology that suits us, a concept of God that we like rather than looking into the Scriptures and finding what God really says and then standing on it, whether it's comfortable or popular or not. So, yeah, do you need a, a good working knowledge of who God is? Absolutely, because if you don't, you'll find yourself creating something that you hope or that you want to be true. But now here's the other danger in this uh, idea of uh, what happens whenever you don't have a good working knowledge and understanding of God, and that is this, that you will allow someone else to create God for you. You'll either do it yourself or you will allow somebody else to dictate 
who God is and to tell you who it is, and you're going to buy into it because you don't know any better. And so you come up with all these ideas about God and you verbalize those ideas, but they're not accurate because somebody told it to you or you feel it or you think it, but you've never investigated it to see if it's true for yourself. Now, where do all these ideas come from? How do we allow other people to influence our concept and understanding of who God is? Well, let me give you some examples. Some of you were raised in a home where you had an abusive father. And this father was sometimes absent. He was never around. And sometimes when he was there, he was abusive. He was unloving. He was harsh. He was unfair. And that, to you, that, that feeling, that image has permeated your Christian life. And you have allowed that person to dictate to you who God is. That you'd be amazed at the number of people who have a parent like that, especially a father in this situation, that was abusive or neglectful, and that becomes their feeling, their thinking, their idea of who God is and what he's like. And you have allowed that to happen. Now, there are a lot of people who have gone through that, a lot of Christian people who have experienced that growing up, and they've gone on to Christian maturity. And they've had a healthy understanding of who God is simply because they searched it out, you see. They made the effort to find that out. And they developed an understanding of God that's accurate according to the Scriptures. And they've been able to separate those two. This is what Dad was like. And this is who God is. And those two are, are totally different. Sometimes we allow friends to dictate who God is to us. We listen to what they say. We believe what they say. Sometimes we let pastors do that. Pastors get in the pulpit or they teach or they proclaim what God says when God really didn't say it. And that's unfortunate. This is the reason why so many people come out of churches all wrapped up and tied up in legalism and self-righteousness. They're judgmental because that's what the pastor said or that's what he modeled. And so, yeah, we think we're the only ones, you know. We, we feel like we're special. And look down our noses at other people who are different because this is what we learned and what we were taught. Either taught it or it was implied to us or modeled for us because that's what the pastor said or did and we believe him. And, and so we have a concept of God that's not accurate because we allowed somebody else to dictate, dictate that for us. And that's a shame. And at some point in time, I've known a lot of people who get out of those churches and they start looking into the Scriptures for themselves and they come up with a knowledge and an understanding of God that's more biblical and they look back at their lives and say, how could I have been so duped? How could I have been so fooled? But it didn't come without some effort on their part because they had to make the effort to find out who God really is and what He's like. So here's the second question that we're going to answer. And that is, how does my life change when I have a good grasp on who God really is? How does life change for me? Why is it so important that as a Christian that I understand more about Him? Well, here I've given you several reasons. Now, guys, we could go on all day with this one because it's endless um, as to why the, what are the advantages and and the things about uh, who God is and, and why it matters and so forth and how it changes my life. But let me share with you several that, that I've put down, and here's what they are. 
How does my life change? It changes, first of all, because I grow in my faith when I understand who He is. I grow in my faith when I really understand who God is. I learn to trust Him. A lot of people, when they are new in their faith, and they come to Christ and they've experienced salvation, when you start talking about their life and the life that they live and the way they live, and whether they're going to trust him with needing a job or whether they're going to trust him to lead them to, to the right person to marry or whether they're going to trust him when they're in the middle of suffering or whether they've lost all their money in the stock market, am I really going to trust him? Can he be trusted? And most of them will tell you, I, I hope so. I don't know. But when you understand who he really is, because you've learned that, when you understand that, you understand that he can be trusted. You can trust his plan. You can trust him when you're suffering and when you've lost somebody you love love and you're grieving desperately. You can trust him then. Your faith is increased. So you grow in your faith in in a way that I cannot explain to you. But it's the knowledge of who he is and what he is like that helps you to grow in that faith. Now along the same lines, listen to this. Here's the second way in which you you change, and that is you grow in confidence. You grow in confidence. What is the difference in confidence and faith? They sound pretty similar, and yeah, that's true, they, they do, except for this. When I say that you grow in faith, I'm talking about your ability to trust God, that you are willing to put him to the test, you trust him, and you believe him. When I talk about confidence, I'm talking about you trusting in yourself. Let me give you a story. Back again when I was living in Florida, I finished up the Bible college and we stayed there for a couple of years and I pastored in a little small church, very small. But we were finishing up and I was serving there and teaching and preaching. And it dawned on me, and I came to realize through that experience, that I didn't have a whole lot of confidence. I might have finished Bible college, but I didn't have a whole lot of confidence. Now, it didn't matter that God had called me to the ministry. It didn't matter that God had given me certain giftings and abilities. It didn't matter that God had put me there to do that job. None of that mattered because, you see, I kept looking at myself and comparing myself to other people that I knew in ministry. I kept comparing myself to the authors of the books that I was reading, like Chuck Swindoll, and thinking to myself, I can never be like that. And so you conclude after a while that there's really no place for you in ministry, and you're just wasting your time. And I made the decision to come to Dallas to go to seminary. I think there's got to be more to this this process. There's got to be something that's going to get me prepared. And so I came to Dallas and went through all the courses and studied under the professors that wrote the books. And and I began to work in a church part-time here in the Dallas area. And pretty soon what happened was this. The more that I learned about God, the more confident I became. The more that I learned about what God does in the lives of people and how he prepares people, and I saw him work in me slowly but surely, and I saw me change, and I realized that God didn't need another Chuck Swindoll. He just needed one Dave McGee. Thank God there's only one. (laughs) But that's all he needed, and I'm telling you, the only thing that he needs is one of you. And that God has a place for you and a plan for you and a place for you to minister. And God has gifted you and called you to do that very thing. 
And what you lack so often, and this is what I encounter as a pastor, is people who lack confidence that God called them and that God wants to use them in some way. The more you learn about who God is and what He's like and the more you learn about what He's done in your life, the more confident you become. And that is worth its weight in gold, I'm going to tell you. The confidence isn't in you, it's just in what God has done in you. You understand it, whereas before you didn't. Here's the third way in which your life is changed. That whenever you get a grasp on who He is, you are flooded with peace and blessings overflow. Peace and blessing. Now watch this verse, okay? So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God, of, I'm sorry, God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace is God giving you stuff, giving you something you don't deserve, whether it be forgiveness or blessings in life. When he's talking in the terms of God giving you grace and abundance, he's talking about God pouring out on you all of the blessings that you uh, so richly deserve or that God wants to give you, blessings you can't even handle. He said, I'm praying for you. He's talking to the people that he's writing to here, these believers all over the country, the world. And he's saying, I'm praying that God increases blessings on you. That's grace. and also gives you peace. That's good. How's he going to do that? Well, he tells you. He said, I want it done in abundance. I'm praying that God pours it out. And here's how he does it. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's how God blesses you. When you learn who He is, that He can be trusted, and what He expects from you, and how to honor Him and please Him, God pours it out on you. And the blessings come. And peace floods your life. Man, who doesn't want that? Well, it's yours. With the knowledge of who God is. The more you learn, the more these things come. Here's the fourth way in which your life changes, and that is this, that we grow in righteousness. We grow and increase in righteousness. The way we live life, the more I learn about Him, the more my life changes. The more I learn about Him and determine to be like Him and follow that example, the more in which my life changes and I become a more righteous person to the degree that someday you'll look back at your life And you'll think to yourself, who is this person that I've become? Let me read you this verse. This is out of the the book of Daniel. This is when Daniel is giving prophecies in the Old Testament, and they're recorded there in the book of Daniel, prophecies about the second coming of Christ, the Antichrist, and so forth. Listen to the verse. It's in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Here's what it says. With flattery, he, the Antichrist, will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist Him. The people who know their God will firmly resist Him. What is he saying? He's saying this, that there's coming a day when with flattery He deceives millions of people. Who are the ones that are able to resist or stand against Him? Those who know their God. Not just to say, but they know Him. They know all about Him. 
They're maturing in the faith. They've learned. They have a knowledge, an understanding of who God is and what He is like. They've made godly choices because they know that in the, even in the face of all that they're facing, they've made the godly choices to do the right thing because I know that's what He wants. Now listen, if anybody knew about godly choices, it was Daniel. You know the book, you know the story. Right at the age of 16 when he was hauled out of Jerusalem with his friends, he was brought to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon and stood before him and he said basically this, you bow down and worship me as God or you're thrown into the furnace. Brought him in one by one in groups. Daniel said, no, I can't do that. Why can't you? Because I know better. I know what he wants. I know what he expects. And since I know that, I can't do what you're asking. And he didn't. And you know the story, what happened there. Later on, Daniel said, we're not eating this king's food that you've given us either. Don't want it. God said, don't eat it. We're not eating it. But you don't understand. The king ordered this. It doesn't matter. I know what he wants. And I'm not doing it. If, I, if he didn't have the knowledge, he would have done the things that God had told him not to do. But he had the knowledge. Daniel and everyone in all of uh, Babylon was ordered not to pray to any other god but Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel opened his windows and three times a day he prayed. Everybody saw him. Threw him in the lion's den. It's either stop praying or go to the lion's den. Well, send me to the lion's because I'm not doing anything different because I know what he wants. I know Him. Guys, let me tell you something. When you know Him and you know what to do, it makes life easier. And you are transformed because you make decisions that are godly. And so many times that we as Christians don't make godly choices. And a lot of times it's because we just don't know any better. We're not mature enough to know that in that situation, this is what God would have us do. Paul made this statement in Philippians. Here's what he said in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Now, this is Paul. Good heavens, he'd already started writing the New Testament by this time. Paul. And Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him better is what he's talking about. I want to know him more. I want it to be more of an intimate relationship. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want that power in my life. The participation in his sufferings. He went through everything for me. I want to go through that too because then I'll know him better. I want to become like him even in his death. I want to sacrifice myself, my life for other people. You see, Paul understood something. He understood this, that there's learning that takes place from reading the Scriptures, but there's learning that takes place from the experiences of life. And so I have, I'm going to learn who God is because of the experiences that I'm going to go through. And he said this, now let me, I've got a choice here. I can take the easy way out and not know Him that way intimately. Where I can say, okay, bring it on, and it's going to be rough, but I'll do it because if I do that, I'll really learn who he is. Paul said, give me that one. 
Now, guys, listen to me, because until we come to the point where we can say, basically, Lord, then do whatever you need to do, but I want to know you. I want that knowledge. I want that understanding. I want to be able to to have your guidance. I want to know what you want. I want to do what you want. I want to be that person. Because until we get there, we miss out on so many things. So the first two questions have been answered. What happens when we don't know God? We either create a God of our own or we allow somebody else to do it for us. How does my life change when I know Him this intimately? My faith grows, my intimacy with Him, my confidence, peace and blessings come into my life. And righteous victory takes place in my life. Righteousness begins to increase. So here we're left with one final question, and here it is. How do I begin? How do I reach that point in life? How do I gain that understanding and that knowledge? Let me give you several things, very practical things that you can start right today. There's something that's going to bring you to the point of saying, you know what, I'm beginning to know him better and better every day. I'm beginning to understand him in ways I never imagined. Here's the first thing. You need to study. You need to study. Guys, there's no substitute for this, okay? And sometimes I think that Christians, we are ignorant of the Scriptures. Some of us, we don't know what it says and we don't seem to care. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, it makes this statement. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. From His mouth. The Word of God spoken, or in this particular instance, for us at least, it's not spoken, it's written. The Word of God gives us wisdom. And from His mouth, or from His Word, come knowledge and understanding. There is no substitute for this. You are not going to grow in your understanding of God if you do not read the Scriptures. It won't happen. We're told in Scripture that just as a baby desires milk, that you and I ought to be desiring the Word of God. Because we know that that's going to help us to know Him better. There's the knowledge that comes from nowhere else. We can't go out here and make up our own. We have to adhere to what's there. And so without that, it's not going to take place. And I want to encourage you. Guys, I know that life is so busy. And when it comes to reading the Bible, you know, we stammer and stutter and hee-haw and make excuses and just, just do it. Just study the Scripture. And don't read it just to make, you know, large gains in it or try to get a lot of stuff done. Just read it to understand it. And when God shows you something, stop. Ponder it. Think about it. Let God drive it home. And you know what else you need to be doing? You need to be reading good books. You need to be reading books on theology. And I don't mean the dry, boring theology. Don't think of it that way. If you get a book that talks about suffering, and that's the topic of interest to you when you read about it, you're going to learn theology. That's theology. Anything you learn about God that draws you closer to Him or opens up an understanding about Him on any topic, that's theology. And you need to be reading those books. And you need to be studying. 
Because there is no shortcut to this. I'm going to tell you right now, this is the most important of all. Because if you don't do this, then you will not grow in your understanding of who God is. Here's the second thing you need to do. And that is that you need to spend some time alone with God. And this is separate from studying the Scriptures. I'm talking about you just getting alone with God. I'm talking about you spending time just praying. I'm talking about meditating. I'm talking about just spending some quiet time just worshiping God because it's there in those moments that the Spirit of God speaks to you and teaches you and lifts you up and encourages you. And there will be things that you come across or come, that come to mind about who God is that you wouldn't get any other way. Let me read you this verse. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul is praying and he's talking to the Colossians. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, them coming to faith, he said, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you, now God, get this, to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Don't miss what it's saying. Paul understood. He said, I'm praying for you guys, you new believers there in Colossae. He said, I'm praying for you. He said, and here's what I'm praying. I'm praying for you that the Spirit of God will teach you about God, that the Spirit of God will flood you with knowledge and understanding and wisdom. That doesn't happen except in those times when you're alone with God, when the Spirit of God works. The third thing is this. Get involved in a study group. A study group. Not just you, but somebody else with you. Here's the reason why. There's something about studying the Scripture and studying theology and studying about God and bringing your real-life situations into that discussion that helps other people learn about God. I can be in a study group and listen to, let's say, Scott sitting here. Scott tells me about a situation in his life that he's going through and what God is doing and what he's learning and how God is moving in his life. And then I learn something about God that I didn't know before because I've never experienced that, but he did and is, and, and so that encourages me. There's something about studying the Scripture with somebody that helps you to grow even faster in your understanding of who God is. Now, guys, we have a lot of different study groups here. We've got your Sunday school classes. The ladies have a Bible study on Wednesday night starting in the fall. The men have one on Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock. It's a great discussion, just a good study group. We have growth groups starting up uh, next month, uh, September. And so, yeah, we have a lot of things to offer here. And if not, then go get one that you like better, but just get in one. Or just get a group of friends around and say, let's start something and let's just discuss a book. Discuss a book like I was talking about, a theological book. Something where you're learning from each other. But now here's the final thing. If I were going to tell you how to get started. You study the Scriptures, you spend time alone with God, you get involved in a study group, and here's the fourth one. You minister to other people. You minister to other people. It's one thing to learn about God. But there's something about ministering to others where you take and you begin to put into practice what you're learning. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Okay, 
I can tell you that you can trust God, but you don't know that until you're put out there on a limb where you have nowhere else to go. See, that, I, that's something I can't teach you. Only God can. God puts you out there in those impossible situations where you're faced with something that He's sent you to do, somebody to talk to, somebody to minister to, some something that God has led, led you to do. And, and I know you're cowering away from it because you're scared to death and you think you're going to fail and God's going to be disappointed. But one thing I've learned about God is He's not. He's not. Because when you step out to try something, God is pleased whether you succeed or not. In His eyes, you've already succeeded. But I'm telling you, that's where you learn who God really is. That's where you experience it firsthand. And that, I think, is what Paul was talking about there in Philippians. This is what I want. I want to be out there. If I'm suffering, then I'm learning something I would not have learned otherwise. Stop being afraid to serve God. Stop being afraid of failing God. Stop being afraid of disappointing God because you're not. The only person that does that is the person that does nothing. God is pleased when you step out in faith, even though it be a little bit of faith and that's all you got, and you're sweating and shaking in your shoes, it doesn't matter. God says, I'll honor that. And I'm pleased with it. Just step out and do it. So there it is. Knowing God, understanding Him, growing in your understanding, that's what you and I are supposed to be doing as believers. Don't be content to just sit there. You know, we somehow we secure this salvation that's freely given, we accept it, and then I've seen it time after time where Christians just seem to go down hill and get to the point where they're doing nothing. Don't do that. Put yourself out there. Take a chance. Learn about God and grow in your faith and understanding of God. Okay? Now, you may be sitting here this morning and you may be visiting and you you think to yourself, well, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand how you are talking about being saved and heaven and hell and sin and forgiveness and all this stuff. Let me just tell you this. Listen very carefully. The Bible says that you and I and everyone in this room and everyone in the world is a sinner. We have sinned. We've fallen short of what God would want us to do. We have shamed Him in every way. But God still loves us. And He loves us so much that He sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to die on a cross. And He died and He took upon Himself every one of your sins. And He paid the payment to satisfy God's requirements. And from the day you're born until the day you die, everything has been paid for. This is grace. This is salvation. And God says that at some point in your, time, in your life, in order for this to be effective for you, that you have to come to the conclusion that it's true. And you have to trust me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that's you and me that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Scripture says. Now, what are you going to believe? What your friends have told you? Or what the Bible says? 
over 150 times in the, in the New Testament, God says, you are saved by faith or belief. That's all. It is not by your works, not by your righteousness. It's by your faith. Will you trust him? See, that's the question. You have enough knowledge already to put your faith in Jesus Christ and believe that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment, okay? You need to do some business with God. And I'm not talking to just those that are questioning salvation. I'm talking to all of us. Let's begin, though, with those. If you're here this morning and you are looking for answers to this and are not sure about this forgiveness, then just you need to just let go and to believe what God has said. You bow before Him and you say, Lord, I believe that You are God. I believe that You died on the cross for me. I believe You paid for my sins. And I'm trusting You to save me. Guys, that's what salvation is. You're trusting in God to save you. Do it right here this morning. For the rest of us, we have decisions to make. Are you going to be content to not know Him any more in your life? In other words, are you going to be content to go on with this? Are you going to be content to continue on in the condition you're in? Do you not want stability? Do you not want answers? Do you not want to feel secure? Do you not want to feel all the things that we as Christians so desperately want? It comes from the knowledge of Him. The understanding of who He is. But you have to put forth the effort for that. You have to study. You have to pray. You have to attend church. You have to be where Christians are discussing the Scripture. You have to put yourself out there to do something you've never done before and let God show you things you've never seen before. You have to do that. Nobody else can do it but you. And that's what God wants, to go on to maturity. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for salvation. We thank You for all of the many blessings You give us now as believers, as Your children. And Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray that our knowledge and understanding of who You are and what You're like and what You expect, that that knowledge would grow for each one of us. Father, make Yourself known to us in a very powerful way, perhaps ways we've never dreamed of. But Father, a year from now, may we look back on our lives and realize how far we've come simply because we know and understand You better than before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.